Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. We're back with Royally Obsessed and happy spare release week, Rachel. Happy spare release week to you too, Roberta. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. You can email us info at gallerypodcast.com. Rachel and I are itching to talk about Harry's new book. Of course, I'm Roberta. I'm Rachel. And we have an exciting episode coming up. What are we talking about? I know. Honestly, we've been waiting for this for how many months to be at this moment where the book is out in the world. I feel like in terms of what's coming up, spare? Is there anything else? <laughs> I don't think there's anything else. It's been so <laughs> quiet. That's it. That's it. That's the headline is spare. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. So to get through all of the revelations and our kind of take on the book, we're sipping something very strong. I don't know what you made, Rachel. I made a gin martini, which I want to hold up to you oh. in the Zoom. Oh my God, that Roberta, little that looks lemon beautiful. Look peel. at that lemon peel. Because I was inspired by Harry's, in the book, he talks about having his gin martini with his the, with the queen mother, his Gan Gan. And it, it was so, it sounded so lovely, them like actually seeing eye to eye and getting to know each other and that he regrets not getting to know her more. So I, I just had a taste for a gin martini to open up. What about you? I love it. I was just going tequila after the Stephen Colbert interview last That's night. I feel like that just felt basic, easy. They also had, a, was it a lime slice in it? It looked yeah. perfect. Cheers. What we need. Cheers. Cheers. I know separate, before I, I'm joking, you know, we obviously said it's all about spare, but there's a lot going on in the world. You're about to go on vacation. We had the Golden Globes last night. I feel like I've just been, I'm sure a lot of the listeners, all of you guys feel this way, just been really enveloped by the leak, everything that, that happened. I look at how what always happens to us, the news changes so rapidly for the Royals the day right after we record. And that was what happened last week. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Because the Guardian had their copy, then the Spanish version came out. And so we our episode came out before all of that went down and, or we recorded before all of it went down, I should say. And so, yeah, I feel like we've been heads down for about a week, which is really coming up for air feels good. I don't, do you have any plans for the long weekend? Um, I think we're going to go to an aquarium. I'm playing oh, some tennis. Nice. It's like a lot of little things like, and I'm very excited about it. I can't wait, but I am very excited to also just nestle up in a cozy corner and finish spare. Roberta and I can attest, we got it right on time on January 10th, but we are still working our way through it. We feel very strongly about context with this. And so I think that's a big bulk of both of our weekends. You're hitting, going away, hitting the slopes. I'm, Did I make that up? Oh, I wish I was hitting the slopes. I'm actually <laughs> doing the opposite. That? I'm laying on the beach. I'm going to Miami. Oh, perfect for reading. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be so nice to have my copy of spare on the beach. And it's going to be I think 78 was the high, and then it's going to get a little chilly. But just to be there in the sun, I think will be so nice. This was a spur-of-the-moment trip when, like, somehow flight prices just 
like dropped. And so we hopped on it and got a hotel and we're going with two friends and it'll be really nice to get away for the long weekend. So I'm excited. I'm so happy for you. The perfect palate cleanser. Yes, that's exactly, that's exactly it, Rachel. All right. While we're sipping, we want to read a listener email. This is from Chris F. in Houston, Texas. He says, I wanted to write you regarding Prince Harry and the interviews this past weekend. I try my best to be open-minded and accepting of everyone in our royal community. I have a place in my heart for everyone in some way or another, and I try to keep in mind that these are human beings who have flaws and make mistakes. I feel that after watching Prince Harry's interviews, I continually miss any level of humility or accountability on his part. I was hoping that in addition to pointing out the things in the past that had hurt him, he would express to the interviewers things he knew he might have done better. It's something we all must do in our personal relationships. I want to be sympathetic and empathetic to anyone, especially those that feel hurt, but it has been exceedingly difficult as time has gone by to feel that for Harry, beyond the sadness that the situation has gotten this bad. As a true royal fan, I feel for him and Meghan, as well as the entire family, and hoping things can take a brighter turn. Best wishes and Happy New Year to everyone involved with the pod. That's you, Alfred, our producer. Cheers, cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Clink, clink. I definitely think this is something that you and I have talked about a lot, is Mm -hmm. Harry kind of openly acknowledging where he made mistakes and that has felt missing in some of the areas it felt missing in the docuseries. I'm feeling more of that, at least question marks, as I read the book. What do you think? I feel like watching – because we did – you and I both watch every single interview he did. There were four interviews. We watched all of them. And I will say that – Texted each other the whole time. (laughs) Our texts are a wild chain. But I was puzzled too because at a lot – in multiple interviews, Harry asked for – he said he would apologize if his family told him where he went wrong. And that's really not how accountability works in my mind. I feel like – you know where you went wrong and you do apologize and you own up for that. And so I thought that was a little bit of a head scratcher. I don't blame him. I think that he's had, he's gone through so much. Him and Megan have got, have given up and sacrificed so much to be where they are, but it just felt, I, I agree on a lot of levels with Chris. It felt like they don't know. They don't really feel like they did anything wrong. And, and to lob kind of these bombshells and know the family can't respond. It just, it all feels feels like a lot. So I just want to add one more point to that. And I totally agree with you, by the way. But I think what is enlightening again about reading is the intro to the book kind of sheds light on this exact problem is it does sound to me like from the get-go, Harry and Meghan's exit was really tied to the fact that he couldn't get his family to listen. They just weren't in a place where they were ready to hear what Harry had to say. And so it feels like until they can have that conversation where they're both ready for that. We've all been in family situations where we're just not ready to hear the argument that someone's making. Then I feel like that back and forth can happen because I'm sure that they would also cite their grievances. They're just on both sides needing to sit down and be open to forgiveness and reconciliation. Yeah, there's that moment where he's talking to William and William, he's he's like, William After the funeral, right? Right, after Philip's funeral. And he said, William didn't know why I left. Was that true that he had no idea? And- if so, like, do I know? And do I know myself? Like, there's all these questions and they're existential and I don't think we have any of the answers. And so it's interesting. Like, there's no there's no right answer here. And now, this week in royal history. Slight pivot. Happy birthday to the Princess of Wales. She turned 41 on January 9th. Cheers to Kate. Cheers to Kate. Lost in the shuffle for sure. I feel like for her, I wonder if it was flashbacks to January 2020 for her because that was right Remember, her birthday was the day after Meghan and Harry announced that they'd be permanently stepping down from their role as senior members of the family. Shocking to me. There were no new picks. 
no acknowledgement from the Prince and Princess of Wales on any of their social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram. I thought that was kind of a gaping hole. It was almost like a comment without a comment and reflective that maybe they really are reflecting, not to say reflecting so many times, but it's like, it. it's definitely not a week with business as usual. We saw the king and the queen, Camilla and Charles, share a pic from Kate's first visit to Wales on their Twitter account. That was very status quo to me. But other than that, it was crickets. You know, I was holding out too. I was like, no, just wait, just wait. There's some really late in the day releases sometimes. Roberta had some solid arguments. I was like the holiday card in Jordan, that came really late. And there's another holiday card that came really late in the day. It could be. And then I was like, you know what? This is what they're going to do. Their strategy is that they'll say thank you for all the birthday wishes. And that will be the post. Nothing. We haven't heard anything from them anything. except we're going to see them in two days' time. So yes. that's that will be big. That will be big. I did, you know, we got the standard reports from anonymous sources that Kate likely did something low-key to celebrate, contrast to when she turned 40. I thought this was funny. Did you see this tidbit that was shared very specifically about something that William and Kate did on their Christmas break where they went on a date and William had a rental or like was gifted for a, a, a minute, not like to own. Um and it, very fancy Aston Martin SUV, and they had this cool getaway Ooh, trip. La I la. thought that was quite I saw specific. the tidbit that they, she's on um, a birthday skiing trip. Oh, see, all the royal sources. So this is exactly I actually what feel Harry like they might be out of town. About. Yeah, they might be. I did want to ask you one question before we get into anything while we're on the subject of Kate. Is your view of the Princess of Wales altered at all after Spare? So I'm only through part one, and I don't feel she hasn't come up at all. And only from the revelations, I have learned that those headlines and all of the British media reporting we saw before just does not feel complete without context. And I'm not going to make any judgments yet now because I just – I do feel like I have to get through the whole book to really judge. Like the um, the context of Camilla in the first part of the book, even though it, it, it does look bad and it is her leaking, it's like – in the context of it, Harry is very – he feels very compassionate toward her. It's almost like he, he is just a child that is seeing his dad remarry someone and he's – him and William are just upset that their, you know, their divorced parents are now – his his divorced dad is moving on. And so I think that that just context gives it everything. So I'm not going to comment on Kate's No, I think that that's very true. I think that it's it's – really shows when you have the book in your hands too or you're listening to it because you get the audio chapters, how chronological everything is. And none of the revelations stand alone. It's always in response to something that happened before, what came next. So even things like the bridesmaid dress text that are really bubbling up in the media, when you read it in the book, it showcases what was happening in Megan's life with her dad the moment before, what was going on for Kate. It's Harry does a great job of that. And this is also a great moment to say that we're very much reading the book. We both, I think, are through part one at this mm-hmm. moment. I'm savoring it. I'm taking it slowly. I'm reading with care. And so we'll be talking about this in an ongoing way through the next coming weeks. Yeah, as we finish the book. And I think next week we'll have a, a deeper dive with a special guest. But I, I think one thing I will say is that it's actually the first part feels very glowing toward Kate and that he's... Harry's so happy for his brother that he's found someone and Diana has set him up with family and a kids and this lovely wife and, and she's so wonderful. And then he, William tells Harry, you know, now it's your turn. Our Diana, our Diana's spirit is going to help you. Our mother is, is helping you now in your next chapter. 
it doesn't feel harsh at all. Like, I really do feel like you just need to read the book to understand that not even Camilla feels that much of an enemy at the first part. It just feels like it's a natural reaction to, I don't know, what's happened to yeah, him. Yeah, it's like so. the sum of its parts. What's that expression where it's like you you need the it in full. It This doesn't do well turning it into a single headline. Yeah. Well, we've already gotten there because we're already talking all about yes. the book. Spare has infiltrated oh, the whole episode. I will say one moment in history that I wanted to call out. January 13th is the anniversary of the Sandringham Summit. And so once we oh. read that chapter, we'll have more to say on that. But I just want to say January 13th, which is this Friday, it's been three years Three years since the Sandringham Summit. We know from the docu-series what that was like, but we'll probably be reading more about it soon. So stay tuned for that. All right, spare so far. This is our conversation. It's going to be pretty quick, pretty. We just obviously have just finished part of it, but we wanted to get into it. First off, Rachel, I wanted to ask, overall reaction, the book, the interviews, ITV, CBS, GMA, Stephen Colbert, People Magazine, all of it, what is your overall reaction to everything? I have felt so happy to hear from Harry. I think just to have the first-person interviews, I'm not looking at them without a critical eye, that's not to say that, but just to get through what happened with the leak, which was such a shock, and then getting it all in bits and pieces felt really, really devastating and upsetting and overwhelming. And I think just to actually have the book in hands, I I think my main reaction is therapy. Like the whole, like Mm. Harry's result, just everything that he has worked so hard to do with years and years of, of working through the trauma that began, all of this began the minute Diana died. I think- it's hard for so many different people in my life, I'm sure in your life, to recognize the need for therapy. But I do agree with Harry that it's just such an important thing. We've all, we're all kind of walking through life with some level of that need. And so that's kind of my overall reaction I am thinking is just how helpful therapy would be for all members of the monarchy. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't think Harry had time to or was given space or love or warmth to process the death of his mother. And I think we see that play out in his denial of it and that he believes she's just disappeared and she'll come back and she'll come out. And that was, it's so hard to hear that over and over and over because you think this poor kid, he's just a little kid thinking that his mom is playing a little trick on him and she's going to come back. And how, I mean, if you lost a parent, I've been fortunate enough not to, but I just think how that probably rings so true and feels like denial of grief and he's only cried once, you know, at the burial that really got, that got me teary eyed as well to hear that. Um, so he has a very poetic way of writing. I think that that's also, and and how are you, how are you reading or I wait, I want to hear your gut reaction first. Well, my gut reaction ties into how I'm reading, which is that I love listening to it. I'm doing the audible version and I did have all the glitchiness that everyone else experienced the first day. It was I pre-ordered it a while ago, and it was supposed to be immediately on my phone, and it just said it was coming later in the day. And so I canceled my pre-order, and I just downloaded it, and it worked. Thank God. And Rachel, I want you to listen to it after you finish reading your hardback version because hearing it in his own words, hearing his impressions of people, like he does it impression every time Charles speaks in his dad's voice. It is like Charles is speaking in your ears. It is 
<laughs> he's so good at impressions. He's so good at reading. He should have been an actor in another life. It's just really incredible. And so I, I definitely highly, highly recommend listening to it. Okay. Um, I'm definitely planning to do that. Right now I have the hard copy. I picked it up. I walked over. I felt like I had, it almost felt ceremonial because Amazon, when I went to go do it, it there was no confidence in the arrival date. So I went and picked it up at my local books or magic. Oh, I still I haven't love. gotten my Amazon copy. Yeah. I ordered that's not my, reliable. No, that's no, terrible. So it's coming yesterday. <laughs> and I was just, I really am so happy reading it as well, because I think just being able to savor his descriptions, for example, of Balmoral and all these locations, he talks in the book about how his mind and brain kind of works in this way of, of really cataloging all the physical details of space. And he can't decide if that's tied to his military training or whatever it or is. But I think of his mom is like, he orders his memories via architecture, which I thought was so fascinating. But it's, it's like, if you ask him like a specific date, he won't know, but then he'll, he can tell you like exactly the carpet tax, like where yeah. they're placed. And I was like, Oh my God, that's incredible. And also yeah. probably a byproduct of trauma is what I, I was reading online. Yes. Yes. But I, but it, it, it to answer, I do really like reading it, but I think I'm going to do both. I am going to do both. What am I, I, ha- I think? I, like, I can't. I, I will force AirPods into your ears. Like, you have to hear his. It's just so good. And <laughs> no, I will I'd... do both, too. I'm going to read because I do like the physical. Like, while I'm on the plane to Miami, I'm going to have the physical copy with me. I'm on Amazon. <laughs> if Amazon can get its ish together. So um, we wanted to break this up. How we're going to structure just this initial conversation. It'll be quick. It's just the highs and lows of the book. And I don't know if if there's any real high that stands out to you so far, Rachel? I think for me, the global high that I'm feeling reading is the validation for a royal watcher of the points of clarification that Harry has as you read. Because as I'm reading, one of the things that's making me go so slowly is wanting to fact check, right? It's kind of like when we watch The Crown, you want to go and be like, wait, did that happen? Recheck the order of events, that kind of a thing. And so Harry is just giving us so much detail on things that we had a lot of conjecture on and we kind of speculated on, like what happened behind the scenes on the day of Prince Philip's funeral. Also, the fact that every single royal reporter over the years has had a story about what happened with um, his paternity claims with James Hewitt, those question marks, he clarifies that exact thing and says that the story that has been in the media is absolutely false. That never happened. There was never a conversation. His dad has never mentioned those paternity claims. Also, just, you know, little other little details, I think that he just is able to set the record straight once and for all. And that is the power of this book, because this is the narrative we will be coming back to. And that feels like such a high for me. Yeah, it's the historical record thus far. And I I totally agree. I think that my high might be the writing. I think it's actually really, really well done. And J.R. Moringer did an incredible, incredible job taking Harry's thoughts and memories and distilling them into this beautiful portrait. I'm, you know, obviously we're just through his youth so far, but I do think even just the descriptions of people, I have so many emotions well up when I was reading this description of Diana and the intro of the book. It's in the intro. Harry's reflecting on this meeting at Frogmore between himself, his brother, and King Charles. And it is so powerful. Here here it is. Her devastating smile, her vulnerable eyes, her childlike love of movies and music and clothes and sweets, and us. Oh, how she loved my brother and me. Obsessively, she once confessed to an interviewer. Well, mommy, vice versa. 
Maybe she was omnipresent for the very same reason that she was indescribable. Because she was light. Pure and radiant light. And how can you really describe light? Even Einstein struggled with that one. Recently, astronomers rearranged their biggest telescopes, aimed them at one tiny crevice in the cosmos, and managed to catch a glimpse of one breathtaking sphere, which they named Arendelle, the old English word for morning star. Billions of miles off, and probably long vanished, Arendelle is closer to the Big Bang, the moment of creation, than our own Milky Way, and yet it's somehow still visible to mortal eyes because it's just so awesomely bright and dazzling. That was my mother. I mean, is there any is there any better advertisement for it's like one long podcast narrated by Harry. <laughs> it is so good. His description of his interactions with Prince Philip, with Princess Margaret when she gave him a gift, the Queen Mother, um, sitting drinking gin martinis when he's a teenager. His even Charles Spencer, who describes making the boys walk behind the coffin as barbaric. Harry said that he was such a defender of him and William right around the funeral time. His mother's sisters, Jane and Sarah, how they came to his rescue a little bit with the gift of his mother's locks of hair after she had passed. Just those, I think the people really come to life for me in Harry's descriptions. That's my overall high. We have the specificity of it, I think, is really, really gripping. And again, because these have all been figures that we have followed to, Harry does a great job at helping us understand their heart behind them. And just that detail is really compelling. Yeah, I do have a high from the interviews because last night we saw Harry on Stephen Colbert. It was hilarious. Stephen is an incredible interviewer. It was so fun to watch. I was up late catching the whole thing. There was this funny moment at the beginning where they played trumpets and Harry thought it was for him. And then Tom Hanks walks in and Harry's throwing rose petals. It was just it was really just a great way to cap off this week of interviews. It was light and funny and humorous and felt very hairy as opposed to some of the other interviews that are heavier. And I wanted to play this clip. It's it just brought me back. I feel like this is this is hairy. So we'll play that. You've got to have watched some of the crown, right? <laughs> People love it. That. Yes, I have actually watched the crown. Oh, yeah. Well, the yeah, recent it, stuff or, or the, the, the older stuff? Uh, the older stuff and the more recent stuff. Yeah. Um, Do you fact check it while you watch it? Um, mm. Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> Which, by the way, by the way, <laughs> another reason why it's so important that history has it right. It's, and he's acting out, fact-checking it, and it's a whole thing, and you can watch the video on our Instagram at Roy Leaves Us Podcast. Plug. Okay, should we move to our lows? My low from the interviews that Harry's done, I was really kind of questioning why he was backtracking on the claim that a senior member of the royal family who questioned Archie's skin color, we know this from the Oprah interview, we've heard this all before, that that wasn't racism, that it was unconscious bias. And I think that really has confused the media as well because there's been a long period of time that's passed. Obviously, almost two years has passed since that interview why now did he decide that that wasn't racism? Is it because he wants is to go soft on the institution? Like it just felt like such a reversal of what they said and kind of taking the 
real bangs out of that claim. And I, I just was confused by that. And I think that was a low for me because I think in what I, I've read and consumed, it's it's still racism. It's even unconscious bias is still racism. And it's almost a little bit not healthy to name it unconscious because we are conscious of what we do and say in our actions. And so I think that that was just really puzzling to me. I don't know. Yeah, what- Why do you think he walked it back? Because it's also like that's been in the ether for so many years. That interview was almost two years ago. My only thing is that maybe the royal family got so much heat for it that Harry felt even a little bit guilty in, in this argument. We saw that in the docuseries, that him and Megan were really surprised that that was the one big takeaway from the Oprah interview was that claim. They thought it would be you know, her mental health struggles, her thoughts of suicide, and it was this, and it was the Archie unborn skin color comment. And so I really don't know. I really don't know. But he does leave the door open for reconciliation. He mentions to Anderson Cooper he could see himself in an overseas role working for the monarchy. There's no way he's going to be a senior working royal ever again. But he definitely leaves a lot of room. He says he wants his brother back. He says he wants his father back. Whether his actions actually display that is another story. But I do think that maybe he is trying to reconcile in his own way. And I thought that part was so fascinating and interesting to me because it's like, on one hand, he's saying, no way, he doesn't want to have this full-time role anymore, but he also does want to leave the door open. And I think that's where a lot of the critics come in. It's like, this is a hard thing to come back from. We know from history that these tell-all moments for his parents, his own parents have been forks in the road where it's hard to recover. He has revealed a lot and it's the small and the large that Harry, you know, is in this unique position where he is able to go on the record and talk about these things. William and Kate, Charles and Camilla uniquely probably can't. They are, it wouldn't look great either. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast too. How would that play out if they did? And they are funded by the taxpayers. It's a lot of drama. So do you think that we will ever actually hear from them? I just want to know your... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think what's been interesting is I did see this report today that talked about, you know, of course, it's all the royal sources, right? They're all coming out of the woodwork. We're not not rapidly, but starting to see that type of stuff that Harry talks about. And there was this report from Omid in Harper's Bazaar, Omid Scobie, and he talks about how Harry's memoir revelations have reportedly left Prince William devastated, but a source adds, he's not ignoring the things his brother has shared. The dust needs to settle, but this has been food for thought. So what really struck me when I was reading, again, I keep going back to that introduction. I promise I've read more than the introduction, but it feels like Harry wrote this book for his family as the primary audience in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Even the end, it's like, Willie, Pa, the world, are you listening? But I feel like going back to that Willie Pa moment, because they haven't been open to listening, I'm curious if this will be the earth-shattering moment that gets them to listen. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that will yield anything positive, though, because I'm sure there's so much anger from mm-hmm. the palace that so much has been revealed. Yeah. Long-winded sentence. Sorry, Roberta. No, I know. I, I, <laughs> I was I, on, a, on a roll there. <laughs> no, it plays into what I was going to say is my, my low of all of this is that judging from the headlines – it's so hard to make an accurate um, assumption of what Harry's trying to do because I do think like the perfect example is the Taliban and how mm-hmm. the media, especially the tabloids, have manipulated this headline taken out of context that he killed 25 people while over there that they were chess pieces in the full 
scope of that chapter and those pages, it does seem so vastly different from how it's painted. And so I just, if anyone's, I don't think anyone listening is on the fence about reading it, but I, I, if, if you are, I just encourage you to read it because I do think even the Camilla headlines, like I've said this before, but I just think it, it feels very much a child's reaction to your parent getting remarried. And it's not at all. I know that there's more to come on that front, obviously with the leaking, but I was listening to Emily Matlis's podcast, The News Agents, and they talk about what a weird world we're living in where the Daily Mail is running a headline that's like, the Taliban is mad and we should be on the side of the Taliban in this. Like, that is such a messed up place to be, guys. Like, we need to, like, A, read the book and get the context, but like the The fact that that was the front page. We're giving the Taliban a voice over Prince Harry. What is happening in the world? (laughs) I mean, it's beyond bizarre. Anything, like, the cringe moments that we know are coming, like the frostbit penis, the virginity virginity, on Colbert. There's plenty of context on Colbert. About his South Pole in the North Pole. I just thought that was like, <laughs> but it, the the even the virginity story is so breezed over, and you feel like it's made to be such a moment, and it really is like four words. It's so quick, and I think yes, it feels cringe when you read a headline, but Harry is has done a really good job of making these big things, even the drug use. It's like a teenage child rebelling against the system. Like it just. I think about if our own life stories were kind of splashed into headlines, like I, of course there's going to be things that you're ashamed of. Of course there's going to be things that feel so weird. And so, I don't know. I just, it is very weird to be like, there was where it was like, how, I think Colbert said, how's your penis doing? Is it doing great now? (laughs) Like just, I mean, this is a weird, weird moment. You're talking to the Duke of Sussex and this is happening. But this is adding to Harry's authenticity as a writer. And I want to just read this passage from the thank yous in the book that struck me where it said, you know, going back to J.R. Moringer, I don't want to turn away from my microphone, sorry. It says, thanks to my collaborator and friend, confessor, and sometimes sparring partner, J.R., who spoke to me so often with such deep conviction about the beauty and sacred obligation of memoir. And I think that that's what I come back to when I think about these revelations. I am (laughs) cringing with the rest of the world, but it is, it just adds to just the credibility, I guess, of what Harry is giving us. Even even the, the little tiny things, I think like before Thursday, did anyone in the British media know that they went by Harold and Willie to each other? No. no. I didn't know that. that was did shocking. anyone know that it was their queen mother they called Gangan and not Queen Elizabeth II, their grandmother? No. Did Like these little tiny details that blow open the fact that we don't know hardly anything about these people at the end of the day. And this is an account from inside inside it just feels it just feels like such a historic moment i want to move I know. on because i feel like we wait should. can i say one okay, more go, thing go, i'm go, gonna go. i just want to say that was also something that really struck me as a low is just you know because i am someone that is always talking about how i want william and harry to reunite i miss the brothers together to understand from the interviews from the book so far how manufactured that closeness has been by the media it's like we've all been rooting for that for so long but it just goes back to boarding school like they they just have been on different paths. And last, last, last thing, don't be mad at me, is just looking at Charles. Is like, you know, the book does a great job of just showing a little bit that this was all, the, you know, it's like humanity, right? We're all so like 
we were raised and it comes back to haunt us. This is where therapy comes in. It's like Charles maybe was never equipped to be a single dad. And he already had this upbringing with the queen. I'm not trying to hijack anything that's coming later, but just all these things are things I am reflecting on like mad. Yeah. And your mention of J.R. Moringer just reminded me there's this weird thing going on on Twitter. And I don't know if it's actually his official account, but it was written up. He's liking tweets. J.R.'s account is liking tweets that kind of slammed the book. And I was I was thinking, like, is this just an accident? You know, like a like a clumsy thumb on the phone that's like that one of them was saying how shameful it was about the Taliban revelation. And I feel like it's so easy to be like scrolling through people who are like critical of you and accidentally like something. So I don't know. I just thought I should bring that up as we close this yeah, out. It's like, what do you, you accidentally heart like your ex's pick? And then yes. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> or someone's like, wow, they did horrible in this episode. And you're like, uh, you read it over and over again and you accidentally like, it. I don't know. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting. Remember when there was two rainbows over Windsor when the queen passed away? Mm-hmm. It was this tweet that was, about prophetic weather. There's all this flooding going on in Montecito. I thought it was it Yeah, was, they've been evacuated. They've been evacuated. Where are Harry and Meghan going? I don't know, but I feel like the floodgates have opened for Harry in that we have all this information and there's flooding in California. It just felt very interesting. I wanted to note larger than life. So the only other thing just to call out, it's the fastest selling nonfiction book ever in the UK, recording figures of 400,000 copies on its first day of publication. I think that includes pre-orders. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, I think it does. And it was compare. I love the comparisons to Harry Potter, like the bookstore staying open, people grabbing it at midnight. I actually called my bookstore to be like, oh, wait, can I do that here? Nope, wasn't happening here. Um, Harry, but- Harry and Harry have the magic touch. Those are the yes. two biggest booksellers. But bird's eye view, real quick, Roberta, will we see Harry at the coronation? What do you think? What's next? I don't think so. I think that the damage. You don't. I don't. I don't. And I just, and I might be wrong. I hope I am wrong, but I do feel like the damage for the royal family has been done. And now everyone's kind of ready to move on. I don't think we're going to hear a lot about Harry and Meghan talking about the royals much after this. I feel like. This, you think they will still? No, no, no. I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I feel like I'm curious if we will see them back there. If this is them being hit over the head with the value of Harry and Meghan, he's open to it. Harry's made it clear he's open to, you know, the reuniting of the family with some changes, with some, you know, acknowledgments of what has happened. It would be very hard for William and Charles to move forward and let them be a part of it. But it just is in the best interest of everyone for also fundamentally the family. But do you think that they, Harry and Meghan will continue to talk about their royal oh, family? Oh, I... I feel like this is it. This is the end of them. Like, they are ready to move forward with all of their own projects and shut the door. But what about the four-part book deal? But see, that to me is like, there's a wellness tome, supposedly. and Well, like, these are like projections. But if Megan yeah. writes a memoir, that's thought to be one of the books. Wouldn't that also be about this or no? So there's a lot of question marks. There's I a think lot of question marks. All right. Well, next up, we just wanted to quickly say there's 
a rumor that King Charles III is going to Paris. So the French media reporting this is still not confirmed by the British or the royals themselves, but this will be the first overseas state visit for the king and queen consorts the end of March. There's a state dinner planned at the Elysee Palace where First Lady Brigitte Macron will meet with Camilla, an aide in the French camp says that this visit is an opportunity to show the age old attachment of his country to ours beyond Brexit and to be part of this continuity because Elizabeth II was a Francophile and French speaking Paris of all places though, feels so heavy as far as just reading the memoir and I'm fresh off of that. So I think that gave me pause to see that was his first state visit overseas. On the flip side, I did like Harry's retelling of his French class experiences <laughs> where he was like, I'm in the wrong class. I'm definitely in the wrong class. I'm, this is too advanced. And his yeah. professor is being like, no, you can do it. Poor guy. But it, it does feel like he was made to think he's a bad student because of the reporting around him being the naughty one. Yeah. And that made me think of how if I ever have my own kids and raise them, like how – does what you say shape how they act? And, and Oh, it's terrifying. I feel terrifying. that all the time. Do you feel it. that? Yeah. Like, yeah, it really is true. I But I do feel like, like Oprah, this is going to be before the memoir, after the memoir for the monarchy. And I think we're just witnessing a very historical moment in the context of this family. Well, we have to refer to- And we're like, finishing reading. We'll refer to the dates of- BM and AM after memoir before memoir. Like yes, a- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Whew. But everyone send us a note. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your reactions. I like this is all in process for us. You'll hear be hearing us talk about it a lot. A lot more. Before we adjourn the Royal Pod, our overall highs and lows, Royal Family highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. Oh, my low. I'm first. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at Rachel just with a blank stare. I think this That's gin is a great commentary getting, on this week, right? I feel like <laughs> I, I drank too many sips of the gin, even though I'm going to have one more. It's really strong. It's this Your Hendrix. afternoon is going to be popping. Have you heard like all the different Hendrix flavors now? They have like Lunar Eclipse is one. That's what I'm drinking. And no, but I do know that my gift from Matt for Christmas was a British Vogue subscription, which I had been really <gasps> wanting to do for myself. Matt. <laughs> oh. I know. I mean, I basically told him what I wanted and he bought it. But I <laughs> was reading the one of the sections and dog-earing the pages for some gin brands that you and I need to check out that Let's look check fantastic. Okay, I guess I'll, I'll go Sorry. Sorry. My tangent. <laughs> my low is um, is the deafening silence from the Windsors. I feel like I just want them, even if it's as diplomatic as the Queen saying recollections may vary, but they are still much loved members of my family. That felt so even keeled. It felt very unifying. Is that age of even just a statement like that gone? Is there truly, really and truly just never, ever, ever explain? I think the silence is really deafening. I wish to hear I want to hear from them even if it's as simple as that yeah I totally agree I'm perplexed on many levels my low is just what this week has been a royal tell-all coming out in the age of modern media it's like I was thinking I you know I keep making comparisons to when Harry's parents wrote their books or you know Mm -hmm. Diana participated in the writing of the book Instagram social media did not exist. You know, you kind of had to wait for the papers and you had the TV news things. It wasn't even 24-hour news. And so just the exhaustion level, there was a meme that Betches, I believe, posted or made that 
referenced Regina George and Mean Girls, and it made me laugh out loud of just when the burn book comes oh, out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just people losing their the minds. Media. The leaks yeah. just made everyone just... Mom, come pick me up. You're like running in a million directions like a chicken with their head cut off. You don't know which headline to chase, and this is just such a a dump of information, you could write 10 stories about every page in that book. So, oh, and it did make me laugh that The Telegraph did have the memoir in three minutes reported. Did you see this? <gasps> no. It's basically... Wait, I'm clicking on the link. Oh my gosh. Everyone Google this story. It made me laugh. It is basically in, oh, wow. a sentence about every single chapter that gives <gasps> you the exact gist of what Harry talks about, which is the opposite of context, but it was this is chapter a 35. valiant attempt Princess, to break it down. Chapter 35, this is all it says. Princess Margaret gives him a bureau for Christmas. She scowls a lot. Like, that gives me nothing. <laughs> the description of Princess Margaret feels so much three, more three-dimensional, four-dimensional than that. I just, My guess what? is this is meant to be humorous, but I can't imagine writing that story. Makes the next laugh. line, admires grandma. They just skip chapter 36. There's no chapter 36. This is chapter 37. Admires that grandma rocks out to Brian May at her golden jubilee. Notices she is wearing earplugs. Like, it just doesn't give you anything. And that's where it's the perfect example of what Harry's talking about and that you need all the context. Um that's where I feel like my high comes in, segue though, is that I, with all the context of Charles, feel a lot better about Charles. I find him really quirky and endearing, and he's definitely flawed. We know he's, you know, had a part in trading stories about Harry, especially there's one in part one about the doing drugs and that he looks like, you know, the the struggling single parent of a drug-addled child. And I felt really, really sad for Harry in that moment that his father was kind of willing to throw him under the bus. And the bridesmaid text. I think he was the one that gave it to the press. Yeah. And so that, but, but, okay, this is my high. So we have to focus on the good thing. High is that like Charles is quoting Shakespeare whenever he has a chance. He lays letters on Harry's pillow. He calls him darling boy all the time. He has a teddy, which made me like that he carries everywhere, which, and it looks tattered and so worn and and beaten like and harry says that it's like his father it's after his father was bullied at gordonston that's what he looked like was that teddy bear that made me more sad than weirded out i feel like a lot of people are like oh god the future or the the king carries like this old teddy bear around that's weird but i just felt really sad for charles so human he's so human and he actually really does sound like he tried his best as a father raising these boys on his own taking Harry the, the Spice Girls trip he does headstands in his boxers because he has these polo injuries and no 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 don't come in the room it's like oh gosh Charles I just I really like Charles after this I, I feel think incredibly I sympathetic to him I think that that is something that really comes across I feel like we already talked about it my high just everything about the Stephen Colbert interview I think that it was the ultimate wrap up to this wild week where it felt really light and funny and humorous. Harry does such a great job. I can't believe I am not going to say it, but the blank cushion that we were talking about in in relation to the frostbite and penis. Rhymes with sock. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Roberta. I just felt like Harry was so happy feeling in this interview. And it also made me laugh because I feel like the British press would likely have a field day with the opening where everyone in the audience of Colbert is like, Harry, Harry. I'm not saying that's reflective of how everyone feels about this book. There's a lot of criticisms to be had, but I think it was just this kind of like tying a bow on the whole week. And yeah, I I just enjoyed it so much. It felt very like light lighthearted and what harry who is funny and humorous and silly and 
is, you know, pretending that he's fact-checking the crown. Like, it just, it was such a, it was. You're so right. It was such a palate cleanser. There is Last a lot thing of I was just going to say, too, I like how Colbert sums him up. He's factually honest, and that's what comes across in his memoir, but he does a great job of being emotionally honest. And I think mm. that's a real great trait to look for in friendships. I think emotional honesty is is important. At am least that's I, what comes across. Am I emotionally across. honest? You absolutely you. are. I feel that so much, even through Zoom. <laughs> is that because like, I cry so much on our recording? No, you're just so genuine. It's genuine. That's what it is. I'm going to be very um, sincere you are in your also response. Emotionally honest. <laughs> in my response, this I can't even like talk therapy anymore. a lot of times, actually. Which is also really shout nice. out to the Roros that wrote us with therapists offers and suggestions oh, we will yeah. get back to you. I we feel like that lot line of, really resonated for our audience. We got a lot of <laughs> offers of therapy and therapists and psychologists. And, and unity that everyone feels the same that they need that. What are you trying are you- to say, guy? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I do. I mean, I, this is, Harry is the best advertisement for that. All right. Just a reminder before we close, a review, a lovely, lovely review. Please leave us a royal rating. We love our reviews on Apple Podcasts, and it's so easy to do. You just tap the stars. Give us a review if you want. This one says, one of the few non-hateful podcasts about Megan, such positive and compassionate ladies. Thank you so much. Reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hit those five stars. We would be so, so grateful to continue to have our weekly therapy sessions with each other about the Royals. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and definitely send us your thoughts, info at gallerypodcast.com. And until next week, we made it. We made God, it. We did it. God, God save the, the pod. pod. <sighs> Not exactly in unison, but. <laughs> Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.